This morning, guys, I want to look really at the heart of Palm Sunday, back to the root of the story, back to the beginning of the Passion Week when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. When it all starts, this starts the countdown to the cross. We'll begin this week and, and see how Jesus hit pause. It's, a, it's kind of a strange story. Uh, there's, a, there's a strange little intersection here in the Gospel of Mark about how during this crazy busy week of Jesus' life, there's a moment where he says, just stop, just pause, and let's see what's happening. Mark chapter number 11, beginning in verse number 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you've entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has set. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone asks you, saying, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll send it here. So they went their way and they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. And some of those who stood there said, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let him go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed, of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Skip a few verses down to verse 15. This is the next day. Jesus rides into town. He goes to the temple. He looks around. He goes to Bethany, the town of Bethany, to sleep with his disciples. And then he comes back the next day. Verse 15, they came to Jerusalem. And when Jesus had entered the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple, and he turned over the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold dove, he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And he taught them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you've made it a den of thieves. The word immediately is used 42 times in the Gospel of Mark, which is more than the rest of the New Testament. He's going fast, and then all of a sudden he stops and gives this detail, this, this space of time that nobody else gives. The triumphant entry is in all the Gospels. The cleansing of the temple is in the three synoptic Gospels. But he's the only one that says that there's time between Jesus coming into Jerusalem and him cleansing the temple. Right, the, the other Gospels, right, uh, they go straight from the triumphant entry to the cleansing of the temple, but Mark takes time to explain that these events didn't happen on the same day. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He, spent, he went into the temple, he looked around, he saw everything that was happening, and then he left. And he went to the town of Bethany, and then he came back the next day to cleanse the temple. 
Between Sunday evening's observation and Monday's return and cleansing, there's a gap. There's a, there's a span of space that's only highlighted by Mark. There's a gap. The evening. Why did Jesus wait? Now, I asked that question this week as I was as I was just I was I was reading the 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 Palm Sunday story, not necessarily to speak a sermon about it or to have a conversation about it with the whole church but but I was just I was just reading it because that's that's where we are and, and and I was asking the Holy Spirit what's the deal and I heard the Holy Spirit say you know there's grace in the gap and so this morning I want to look at three types of grace that is seen inside of this gap between the time Jesus enters Jerusalem and the time he cleanses the temple. And the first is for us Christians. It's a word of encouragement. That there's grace in the gap. Between God's promises. And the present that we experience. And that grace is God's ability in us to get us through. To make us durable. To make us determined. To make us stable. To make us strong. It's God's ability working in us. When we aren't exactly where we want to be it's God's ability to say you know what what you've been praying for and where you're going the space and God gives us strength in our present to get to our future we've been talking we just finished a series about marching forth right and we were talking about advancing the kingdom advancing the kingdom pushing forward and you know what even right now even in the midst of this global pandemic the kingdom of God is advancing. Incredible things, for sure. The people of the church are going to be blessed even through this, even in the midst of it. But you know what happens when you march? It's a journey. It's not instantaneous. It's little by little. We talked about that. And that span of time between where you leave and where you arrive, that time, that, that duration of that event... We've got to have grace for that. We've got to have God's strength and God's power to take us from one season to the next because it's not instantaneous. And I see grace here in the gap for the children of God who are crying out for justice. See, back to our text, right? The grace was for the multitudes that had to spend one more night separated and hindered from worship because of man's selfish institution. The grace was for the people that, that were looking around and seeing what was happening and were affected by what was happening in the temple and still had to spend one more night separated from the way God had it planned out. So here's the thing. The, the Bible says that, that if you're going to worship God in the temple, right? So this is Old Testament law. If you're going to worship God in the temple, you need to bring a, a, an offering to the temple. And it was about a half a shekel. Right? That's, that's what you had to bring. But you had to bring temple currency. Right? You had to bring a Jewish coin. That's the, the, the currency of the temple. But that's not the currency of the common person at the time. They were under Roman rule, so they had Roman coins. So, so you come in, and you're getting ready to worship God, and you're bringing in your offering, but you've only got Roman coins. You've got to change that out the temple coin and the only place that you can change that currency to get temple coins is in the temple it's a cornered market 
And, and and then not only that, but but you also had to bring two doves as an offering. But if you're not from Jerusalem, then you have to bring them with you. You have to travel with them. And how many of you know that that birds do not travel well, especially in the days before metal cages? So it was incredibly difficult to bring two dove with you to offer as a sacrifice at the temple. And then they had to be uh, spotless. They had to be perfect to offer as a sacrifice. And the same people that were judging whether or not yours was spotless enough were the same people that were selling them in the temple. So it was a matter of convenience and it was a matter of necessity for them to actually buy these dove from the temple. But here's the catch. It's like any cornered market once again it's just like buying uh, food and drink from a place that doesn't allow outside food and drink it's going to cost you right the the popcorn the the soda at the movie theater it's going to cost you right the the hot dog the pretzel at the ball game you might as well buy a compact car it's going to cost you and so they were selling these doves for an incredible price. So between the exchange rate on your coins and the cost of these doves, it became cost prohibitive for people to worship God. The, the, the tax that was added by the money changers, by, by, by the merchants in the temple, the, the, those things kept God's people from worshiping Him. And they were crying out for justice. They were crying out, God, would you please, would you make a way for me to be able to come into your presence? Would you make a way for me to be able to offer to you the sacrifices that you deserve? They're crying out for justice. And then here comes Jesus. He enters the temple. And he looks around, and people remember that, that years before, he had come in and he had cleansed it out. He had, he had done this before. Before he, he had come in and he had, he had cast out the money changers, he had turned over the, the tables of those that were selling doves. And, and this is the chance. This must be it. This must be it. He's going to come in and he's going to do it again. He's going to make sure that this time that it's not reestablished. And he's, he's going to bring us justice and he's going to allow us into God's presence. This must be the time. This is what we've been praying for. This is our moment. Jesus walks in and everybody's excited. They see their hope. They see it all laid out there right before them. They can almost feel the victory. Jesus walks in. He looks around, and then he leaves. And the people are left wondering, what's the deal? Where's Jesus going? We have the advantage now of looking and seeing the latter verses of chapter 11, and we know how the story ends, but they didn't. They were living it. They didn't know Jesus was coming back the next day. They didn't know that their prayers were going to be answered. They didn't know. They just knew that what they had asked for, their opportunity, had just walked out the door. And they needed grace to continue. They needed grace to keep going. They needed grace, God's ability in them, to keep praying, to keep hoping. Sometimes for us, ladies and gentlemen, there's a gap between where we are and where we're going, and it seems like Jesus walked in, looked around in our situation, and then just walked out. 
the people back then, they didn't know. They didn't know the rest of, of chapter 11. They didn't know who's going to come back the next day. They just saw the opportunity to leave. And how many times in our lives do, do we see the same thing? It feels like we're on the edge of something great, and Jesus comes in, and we can feel his presence, and then nothing. And we're asked to wait. Ladies and gentlemen, there's grace, there's grace, there's grace, there's God's ability in us to get through one more day. There is. There's God's ability in us to get through one more season, to get through one more week. There's God's ability to, to stand strong even in the face of this. The whole world right now is looking for deliverance from COVID-19. The whole world is asking. And the church is praying. And I believe, I believe honestly, one of the reasons that Arkansas isn't locked down yet and that our numbers are still well below the curve is because there's a church in Arkansas that is praying in righteousness. And I believe that there is deliverance on the horizon. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But I do believe that there's grace in the gap between where we are right now and where we're going to be. There is grace. The church is beginning to awaken. We're beginning to live out what we've preached for years and years and years. And 2 Chronicles 7.14 is true. That if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, he'll hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and he'll heal our land. Ladies and gentlemen, revival is on the horizon, but we're not there yet. The good news is there's grace in the gap. There's grace in the gap. Some of us have been praying for healed relationships. And right now, everybody's heart is soft. And so I believe that, that God is going to use this to begin to restore some relationships. But travel is restricted and distance is the direction even if embraces what's desired. And, and so we worry about missing an opportunity. We worry about the people that we've prayed for that, that, that are now starting to have a soft heart. We worry that we're going to be able to, we're going to miss that opportunity. And, and, and we're a little bit scared, a little bit nervous that, that, that this is really just kind of quarantine confession. But we do what we can. We walk forward little by little. We, we, we send the text. We, we make the call. We do the FaceTime. We, we, we try to connect with them as much as possible. But in the meantime, we worry, but it's okay to walk a little bit at a time toward restoration, and there's grace in the gap. We haven't seen exactly what it will be. We're not, we're not kept. There's, there's a veil over our eyes to see what the future holds. What we do know is that right now, when God is working on these relationships, there's grace for today. There's grace to be able to connect in a way that, that it seems so distant yet so personal. There's grace for right now. Some of us are facing the hardest financial times that we can remember. You know that things will bounce back and eventually God's people will be okay. And we know that in the end God is going to use this to bless the church to fund a revival that I believe is going to happen at the same time as all this mess gets cleared up in the, with the virus. I believe that. I believe that there's an awakening on the horizon and that's going to cost a lot of money. And God's going to get that through his people because God's going to bless us. But in the meantime, when everything seems insecure, in the meantime, when jobs are failing, when even, when even the things that look secure are falling through, there's grace in the gap. We're not where we will be. 
We're not even where we were. There's, there's a, a span of time between now and, and, and true deliverance. There's a span of time. And this is where we look to Jesus to multiply what we have, to take the, the five loaves and the two fish and to feed the 5,000. This is God's ability in us for today. Today is our daily bread. There's God's ability in us to go one day at a time, to trust, to be content, to know that, that His joy is not related to things. There's grace for us today. There's grace in the gap. So yeah, we're not, we don't have, not experiencing deliverance yet. We're not free and clear yet. But there's grace for us in the middle of all this. There's grace in the gap between where we are and where we're praying to be. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what? Today, I'm going to walk in God's grace. Today, I'm going to say this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today, I will be satisfied. And the truth is that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil, and God is still going to prepare a table for us, and we're going to affect our reality. We're going to affect our present and our future, and we're going to push back the enemy at the table of negotiation. We're going to say, God, you prepared a table for me, and I'm going to meet with you here. And that's grace for every day. Secondly, there's grace between revelation and judgment. If the first grace is for his people, these are for the people that are not his people. Right? If there's grace for us in the gap, right, to make to 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 survive, to go one more day, to, to push a little bit farther into his presence, then there's also grace for the people that are not calling on his name. See, the first point is comforting to the church. The second point is comforting to the world. Anyone in the church that loves someone in the world also. Guys, this, this is interesting. To us. So here, here it is. Again, this temple cleansing in, in the Synoptic Gospels after the triumphant entry is not the first time this happened. If you read the Gospel of John, there was a first temple cleansing right after Jesus' first miracle, the, the wedding at Cana, turning water into wine. That was the first time, and if you look at and not just the incident, but also the fallout and kind of what happened, you see these are completely different instances. So I've got to, I've got to believe, I've got to imagine this morning that, that as Jesus enters the temple, that there's people there that are, that are exchanging money. There are people there that are selling doves that remember Jesus. It's only been about three years, maybe three and a half years since this happened the first time. And I can imagine someone sitting there at the table. And I, I, I see it like Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, from the old cartoons where he's Donald Duck. And so he's, they've got the money just piled up. And they're just counting it and, and rolling in it. And, and then I, I can imagine them with Jesus walked in. They're like, oh. Because suddenly they, they see what God sees. Suddenly they see their greed and their transactions and their ability to keep people out of God's presence. Suddenly they see that is disgusting to a holy father. It's like turning the, the light on in a dirty room, right? My kid's room looks fine as long as, <laughs> as long as the light's off. You turn it on, it's a mess. It's kind of what the Holy Spirit does to us when we're convicted of sin. And, that, and I believe that that's kind of what happened when Jesus walked into the temple. When Jesus walked in, the people, they said, oh. And then when he walks out, 
He gives them a night to make a choice. He exposes what they've done and then leaves them to make their decision. If they would have repented then and decided to make things right, then they would have been okay. God gave them, Jesus gave them a whole night to make the decision. And so many times, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I, as children of God, when we are praying for justice, that's when, when we are relying on God's grace and our gap to get things through, the gap between the promise and the present, then God is extending another type of grace to someone else. God is extending grace to someone else to say, come back to me. Come back to me, calling to them. Now, grace and mercy are not the same thing. We'll talk more about that maybe next week, right? But, but, but mercy is being uh, guilty and then not being punished. Grace is saying, okay, God, you call them by the Holy Spirit. Give them a revelation of Jesus. Make them to have a commitment to follow Him and to yield to His plan. Grace is this. It's in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Some of us have been treated unfairly by someone else, and while God is giving us grace to get through, God is giving someone else grace to repent. Some of us have been treated unfairly, and, and you know what? We thank God that, that He's given us grace to get through, but between the time that, that God is calling right now the people, even those that have mistreated His children, because He's pouring out on us grace to go from this day to the next day. He's pouring out grace on someone else to hear the plan of God. And I'm so thankful for the gap between the time that we realize that we've gone the wrong way and the time that judgment falls. In our story, it was an evening. Jesus walked in, looked around, and didn't come back until the next day. In my story, it was a little bit longer where I felt God calling to me in the time that I, that I actually turned to Him. As I look around, just a few people in this room, I guarantee you've got a similar story. There was a time span different between where you've heard the voice of God and when you yielded the voice of God. For the people out in internet land, I guarantee you, if you take a look over your life, there was a span of time, there was a difference between when you heard God tell you to do something and when you actually chose to do it. And during that time where God was calling to you, where God was, was still pulling you, that is grace. And so I see here in our story grace for the people to get through one more night under oppression. And I see here grace in the story for the people that were, that were cheating everyone else one more night to repent. You got grace. There's grace in the gap. Last but not least, there's grace in the gap between God's plans and ours. Between God's plans and ours. If we go back to our text. There's grace for all of those who would make Jesus a political king. There's the triumphant entry and there's the multitude of people that are crying out for salvation. They're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us, God save us. And they saw the fulfillment of Scripture right before their eyes. They were living out Zechariah. They, they, they knew that the king would come riding a colt. And here he comes. Here comes Jesus. He's on a colt and he's riding in. And they're crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a messianic psalm. Psalm 118. They were, they were declaring him to be the Messiah. 
but they failed to realize there's a gap. And so they were crying out for a political king. They were crying out for political salvation. Freedom from the Roman oppression. They were crying out to, to, to be Israel again. And they really missed the heart of the Scripture because God was more interested in a plan of salvation than a plan of political deliverance. And I have to think that if Jesus would have ridden the momentum of that entry into the temple and then cleansed it right then, that the people would have taken him for sure and made him a political king. They would have gone farther from the plan of God, feeding their wishful interpretation of Scripture with the events unfolding before them. But in Jesus' great love and compassion, he pushed pause. Pushed pause. So that the multitude could stop and think. So they could take a hold of their emotions. So that, so that they could, could get away from the group mentality. So that they could see, search the scriptures and find out that truly there's a better way. Ladies and gentlemen, how many times in our lives does God push pause? And how many times have we look back on that after it was all said and done. Say, oh God, thank you. God, thank you. Sometimes you get in the pipeline and, and you're running and you're running and you're running and there's blessing that's flowing. But may, maybe it's a relationship that, that, is, that it starts out so good, but then you start moving so quickly. And then God pushes pause and you're able to step back and look and see, you know, this may not have ended well for me. This may have been a little bit toxic to what God is calling me to do. Maybe it's a job situation. Where, where, where suddenly you get an offer and all these things, it, and it just starts going and it feels like you're in a pipeline. It feels like there's no exit, but you're just marching forward and everything is good. But then God says, stop. And you wonder why the next piece didn't just fall into place. And you wonder why that opportunity dried up. You wonder why they won't call you back. You wonder. And this morning, I wonder how many times where God has pushed pause on my life, was it not Him just speaking over me His grace to say, Stop! There's a difference between my plan and your plan. They're diverging. And so I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to take a moment so you can pause, so you can take a step back to look at everything, to hear my voice. I've got to make you stop so that you can hear. Because when we're running, we don't listen very well. And so Jesus said, you know what, if I go straight into the temple, if I start cleansing this tonight, then, then people are going to push their own agenda on me, and that's not the case. So he takes a moment, he takes a night, and he says, just wait right there. Stop. Study the Scriptures. Listen to what I'm saying. I've got, I've got just one more week is all Jesus had. Just, this is Sunday. By Thursday night, he's arrested. This is it. He's got, and it's so important that I'm going to take couple of my precious hours i'm going to leave you here to think about it because there's time in the gap to see god's plan and that's grace working through ladies and gentlemen it's a, if you just read the gospels you may miss it it's just one detail in one of the books that says that there was an evening in between why was there an evening? I believe it was so God could show His grace, so that God could show grace to people that needed deliverance, so that God could show grace that were doing the wrong thing and needed salvation, so that God could show His plan to people that were too anxious to fix their own. So this Palm Sunday, 
whichever type of grace you need, receive that now in Jesus' name. If you're watching, if you're listening, and you need grace to get through this situation, you need grace to face one more day. You need grace to... Maybe someone that you love is already sick. Maybe someone you know is already sick, and you need grace to be able to pray one more day for them. And receive that now in Jesus' name. Be strengthened. God, I speak strength over your church. God, I speak strength over all of those that call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say that that we're going to make it today. That today we have our daily bread. I say that today we are strong and very courageous. And then when tomorrow comes, we're going to step into grace for that day also. In the name of Jesus. Maybe you're watching this and you're experiencing right now the grace between the time that you have the revelation and the time you come to repentance. There's a gap between the time God shows us what's wrong and the time that we experience the consequences and the punishment. And in that gap, there's grace. You say, Pastor Jeremy, you know what? I've known Jesus before. Maybe I knew all about Him. Maybe I knew all about God. But I've walked away from Him and I've spent years pursuing my own things. I've spent years doing my own thing. But this morning, I've got to come back to Jesus. I hear Him calling to me. I hear, I, I, I know that, that my future is in His hands. And this morning, I've got to make things right. Ladies and gentlemen, there is grace for you. God's love, His, His incredible mercy, His incredible grace is calling to you. Even though you've known where you're going is wrong for so many years, right now there's grace and it's calling to you. And so if you need to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then don't wait anymore then make an altar out of your bedroom. Make an altar out of your kitchen table. And right now, bring you and your family before God and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. I know know that I've done wrong. I know that the wages of sin is death. Forgive me, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again. And I believe that if I confess my sins and if I admit that you're Lord, you are Lord, and you'll forgive me. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning, Jesus, I'm calling on you, and I'm trusting in you, and you're my Lord, you're my Savior. From this moment on, I trust you. Cleanse me. I'm yours and you're mine. And if you're watching today and, and you realize now that things have slowed down, now that, now that this virus has put pause on everything, if you realize this morning that there's a big difference between what God has intended for your life and the path that you're running down, then use this opportunity as grace. Maybe God is putting the whole world on pause to get a hold of some people that were running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. So repent, not of sin, but of your direction. Change your mind and get back into the plan of God. Run hard after His plan.